Well, I don't know about you guys, but around the holidays, uh, my family and I, we watch older movies, and we don't do that really at any other time of the year, but around the holidays, we do. We kicked it off on Thanksgiving Day. Later in the evening, we're watching uh, the Grit Channel. Anybody watch the Grit Channel? Okay, just me. Uh, Country Western Channel. So just so you know, it's a Country Western Channel, and so late Thanksgiving evening, think, you know, turkey, tryptophan is hitting, you know, it's all getting soaked up in the gut, right? And we're watching this, this old movie, this country western movie, and we catch it just in the middle. So not really sure what's going on, but here's what we see. We see a group of kids walking with a little baby, and they're walking through deep, deep snow and fog. And there's no adults around, and they're trying to take care of the baby, and they have a couple horses and a little bit of food. And they're walking, and there's one kid that's like the leader, and he's championing and everything, and he's, he's going along, and he's saying, come on, guys, let's go, let's keep going. And these are little kids with a little baby. The horses are starting to fall out. To be honest, it wasn't a, a, a pick-me-up on Thanksgiving Day. I don't know why we watched it, but we did. And at one point, the horses are down. They're sick. They can't go any further. And that one champion, the leader of this group, the older kid, he says, you guys stay here in this deep snow, and I'm going to go find help. And he, he walks off, and he's going through the fog, and he's kind of stumbling, and he's not sure if he can make it. And he comes upon this little village of cabins. And the next shot is him inside one of these cabins. And, and you're thinking, well, man, how, how is he going to go back? He's a little kid. How is he going to find those other kids? He walked a long way. How, how is he going to go through all the fog and the snow and find those kids? And will they still be alive? And how's the baby doing? And how's he going to get them all and bring them here? And just at the time when you're thinking through all that, they transition to the next shot, and all the kids are in the cabin. Right? They're cozied up next to a fire. They're eating beef stew. It's amazing. And you're kind of like, what? How? How'd they get from there to, to here? How did he find them? That's a good old country western movie, right? They don't need to tell you that. You just trust it, right? You see, I think Christmas is a lot like that for many of us, that we, we know the manger, right? Even if you didn't grow up in church and you have friends who didn't grow up in church, maybe they have a nativity scene with a manger on their yard or on their mantle. Many of us know what happens at the scene of the manger. We know what happens at the, the birth of Jesus, but we have no idea what leads up to that. Well, that's the purpose of this series. That's the purpose of Advent. That word Advent literally means coming, that we look at the coming of Jesus Christ. What led up to the coming of Jesus Christ? What events, what anticipation uh, led up to that big event? Because that's important because it leads us to the birth of Jesus, right? And so we don't want to miss that. We want to go through that. So last week we started this and we looked at Zechariah, this old priest and his wife, Elizabeth, who are promised a child, and they're old, or as we learned from Zechariah last week, advanced in years, right? They're, they're old, and so this is a huge promise. They're going to have John the Baptist, who's going to pave the way for Jesus Christ to come. Really important to know as we lead up to the Christmas season, to the birth of Jesus. And what we said is that God works in the waiting, that God fulfills his promises through prayer according to plan. That was last week as we started Luke chapter 1. This week, we're going to see God works primarily in two ways. He works through amazing favor. That's how God relates to us. And then he also works through simple faith. That's how we relate to God. So we're just going to go through 
those two points briefly in our time this morning, and we see those two points in the text we just read, Jesse read it, Luke 1, 26 through 38, and the prophecy of Jesus' birth to Mary. And so look at the text with me. Verse 26 is where we start. It starts off saying this, that in the sixth month, these events occur. Now, that's the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, Zechariah's wife from last week. So she's about six months pregnant. This is about six months from what we looked at last week. And you think, why is that important, Tim? Why do we need to know? He's talking to Mary. Why do we need to know where Elizabeth is in her pregnancy? Well, it's really significant but we, because what Luke is doing there is he's giving us a timeline. Right? Because remember what we talked about last week. If you read this really closely, what you'll see is no once upon a time. Right? Because this isn't a fairy tale. It actually happened. Uh, this is a definite time with specific people. And so Luke is letting you know that. Here we are in this timeline with this real story with things that really happened. And so what happened? Well, we look at it. We see the angel Gabriel, same angel that came to Zechariah, is coming to Mary. And remember, don't think touched by an angel, right? Think powerful messenger of God. And we know that again here because Mary, verse 29, is troubled when she sees him because he's a powerful messenger of God. And then we see Mary. Look back at verse 26. We learn a little bit about the life of Mary. She's in a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Now, Galilee was the region. Nazareth is the town. And so why mention the region. Well, most scholars will tell us that Nazareth was such a small town, nobody would have known where it was. So if it just said in a town called Nazareth, people would have been like, where? Who? But when you say Galilee is the region and then Nazareth is the town, people would have said, okay, I kind of know where that is. And so this is where Mary is from. Have you, have you ever been to one of those small towns? Did you grow up in one of those small towns? My wife did. My wife is from Holland, Texas. Anybody know where that is? Exactly my point. One clap. Thank you. Uh, she would be so proud. But, but Holland, Texas, you need to know, is, is literally just a cornfield in the middle of central Texas. There's one gas station, one school. She graduated with, I think, 50 people. And every year, I kid you not, they do something called Corn Fest, as glorious as it sounds, Right? And we would go back to that and, and, and celebrate with her friends from high school, and it's this parade, and we would walk through the center of town, and all these people would come up to my wife because everybody knew everybody. It was one of those small towns right next to the cornfield, right? Can you picture it? When you picture that, you need to picture that in the town that Mary was from. The Nazareth was a town like that. That's why they had to mention Galilee. It was so small, nobody would have even known where it was. And so that's where she's from. That's where she lives. Verse 27 tells us a little bit about her relational life. She's a virgin betrothed to a man named Joseph. They're engaged to be married. Uh, betrothal is similar to what we know about engagement. It was a little bit more significant. Once they were betrothed, there was no going back. It was almost like being in a covenant. Not quite, but almost. And so this is where she is. Most scholars tell us, tell us she was a teenager, maybe 14, 15 years old. So just let that sink in as we see the life of Mary. This is who Mary is. What is the message from the angel? Look at verse 30 with me. The angel says, do not be afraid. Why? Because you have found favor with God. You see that word favor twice in this passage. It means that you are a recipient of God's love, 
and God's grace at no merit of your own. And Mary has received this favor from God. We see favor twice just in this passage alone. And so that's why she sees this powerful messenger of God, but she doesn't have to be afraid. She's found favor with God, unmerited favor, grace. The love of God has shown up in her life. Now, here's what's amazing about this is there would be times in the Old Testament, if you read that, people like Gideon or Hannah or David, and they would cry out. They would plead with God for favor to come upon them, for, for unmerited grace to show up in their lives. And they would ask for that, and God would grant it. But as you look closely here, Mary doesn't ask for favor. She doesn't request favor. There's no hint of that. But God still provides it. God still freely gives Mary favor. And here's the outworking of this grace and favor. Verse 31 through 33, look at those verses. We see she's going to have a son. His name's going to be Jesus. That means literally the name, he will save us from our sins. And so even as she gets the name Jesus, she didn't know everything, but she knew some way this son is going to save us from our sin. And we know, and we see, as we continue to read, Jesus goes on to die on the cross as a substitute for our sin. It also says that he's going to be great, the son of the most high, sit on the throne of David and reign forever. Now, don't miss this because it's easy to do this. I want you to put yourself in Mary's shoes. Remember, real time, real people. Mary's a real 14 or 15-year-old girl. If you know any of those, just try to picture that person from a small town, engaged to be married. And I want you to put yourself in that time in her shoes and imagine what would she have thought. Okay, I'm from this small town where everybody knows everybody. I'm a teenage girl, and I'm going to raise God. I don't know what you were doing when you were a teenager. Mary's going to raise God from a tiny town that nobody even knows where it would be on a map. She's engaged. She's not even married yet. And she's going to raise God. How is that possible? Listen, is it because Mary is a great woman from a great city of great reputation? Is it because that Mary has a, a gold halo around her head and sits on a gold throne like so many of the paintings that you've probably seen? Is it because of that? How is this possible? It's not possible because any of that, because none of that is even accurate. Right? Mary wasn't a woman late in her 30s. She didn't have a gold halo around her head. Sorry to break the ice on that. She was a, a teenager from a tiny town engaged to be married, but she's going to raise God. How? Because it's amazing, what? Favor. It's amazing grace. Martin Lloyd-Jones, an old preacher and theologian in England, I love this. He says, the ultimate test of our spirituality is the measurement of our amazement at the grace of God. Let me read that again. The ultimate test of our spirituality is the measure of our amazement at the grace of of God. Listen, whether you have been in church your whole life, if this, is, if this is your first Sunday, and you think about what is the, the fundamental characteristic of the people of God? Is it that we come to church, as beautiful as this is, that we gather together to worship together as the church? That's a unique characteristic of the church. Is it that? 
It is our defining characteristic that we've cleaned our act up, that we've done some good deeds. Is it, is it that? Is our defining characteristic that we, we read the Bible and we learn it and we apply it to our lives? Is that the defining characteristic of the people of God? No. The defining characteristic of the people of God is amazing favor. That a holy God would descend and condescend to a sinful man and he would live amongst us, be born amongst us and go on to die for us and rise on our behalf in victory. That's amazing favor. Listen, I, I don't know how long you've been doing the church thing, but, but that should give you some awe. Right, Martin Lloyd-Jones says, this is the ultimate test of our spirituality. Are you amazed at the grace of God? Is it amazing favor to you? Does this get you a little bit excited to think about, wow, God, you could have defined Christianity in so many ways as a religion, as a list of things to do to gain approval with God, but you define it by grace. That's why the word grace or favor shows up in the New Testament over 120 times because this is how God relates, not just to Mary, but to us. This is God's plan for, for you, it's unmerited. It's amazing favor. I remember about four years ago, I was in a small group, and I was essentially recounting my resume with God. So I was in a group, kind of like that got up here on stage, and we would look at Scripture and talk about our lives. And, and I was in that group one night, and I was just kind of recounting, and I didn't even realize it, just my educational background and the seminary I had done, my actions of late, my church background of late, and whether I'd missed a Sunday or read my Bible and done some bad things or done some good things or served some people. And I was going through all this, and the leader of the group stopped me, and he said, Tim, do you know that God loves you just because God loves you? And I, I've been in church long enough to get the right answer on that one. You know what I'm saying? So I said, yeah, you bet. I know that. And he came at me again with the same question. It was a little bit like of a, a goodwill hunting moment, <laughs> right? Like, it's not your fault. It's not your fault. He asked me again, hey, Tim, no, I don't think you understand. Do you know that God loves you just because he loves you? And I said, of course. I mean, get, can you move back a little bit? Like, what is this, an interrogation? Yeah, I already said yes. I know that. And he said, well, okay, I just wanted to make sure because the way you talk about God and your relationship with him is more like a contract, not a covenant. The, the way you're talking about God is maybe you follow some of his prerequisites and then he fulfills some of his promises. And as long as you follow the prerequisites, then he'll fulfill his promises. And you talk about it like it's a contract, not a covenant of love. Listen, I wonder this morning, how many of you feel like that? How many of you talk about God like that? Right? Earlier, we sang a song that your love never fails. The love of God never fails in death or life. It never runs out on us. And maybe some of you didn't really sing that song. And it wasn't because you don't like the song or you don't really know it or you don't think you can sing. You can sing. It was because at your core, you're not sure if you believe that. Like maybe for some other people, his love never fails, but 
your love never runs out on me. Like, do you know what I did last night? Last year? What I haven't done in 10 years? I don't know if your love never fails. And you, you see God as a contract, not a covenant of love. And so I would ask you this morning, the same question that was posed to me is, do you know? This morning, do you know? Are you assured of? Do you feel it in your gut that God loves you just because he loves you? It's amazing favor, and you need to know that's how God sees you. That's how God relates to Mary. That's how God relates to us, and you have to receive that. What I want you to see in this text this morning is that it's impossible. Listen, it's impossible to have faith in God if you don't first accept his favor. You see, the sequence here is really important as we read this. Like, favor comes before faith for Mary. Do you see that? So, so the, the sequence doesn't go like this. It doesn't go, man, Mary, I've been looking for a girl like you. I mean, from a tiny town, a teenager, I mean, are you kidding me? So impressive. Are right, you're a resume, you're engaged to Joseph, a carpenter, woo, big time. I've been looking for somebody like you with some faith like yours that I could bring Jesus, my son, into the world through. Is that what happened? Is that the sequence? No. The sequence is first God's favor, his amazing favor comes upon this, this little girl from a tiny town with no resume. And God says, I'm going to shine my grace upon you and through you. And it's only then, once she accepts that favor, God loves me just because he loves me unmerited. It's only then can she respond in faith. That is her response. If you continue to look at it, this is how we relate to God. It's simple faith. Look at verse 34 with me. Mary says this. She says, how's this going to happen, right? How's this going to happen? How will this be? I am a virgin. You see, Mary may be a teenager from a small town, but she knows a little bit about reproduction, right? She knows first comes love, first comes, then comes marriage, and then the whole thing. Like, she, she got how it works, and she's like, I, I, how? How is this going to happen? And so the angel responds, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. So, so how is it going to happen? It's going to happen because of God, not because of her. It's going to happen because God is involved. The Holy Spirit gets involved. The power of the Most High will overshadow this entire situation. And God is going to make it happen. It's the same thing we see in verse 36. It says this is the same thing God is doing in the life of Elizabeth. Right? They're just at opposite ends of the spectrum, right? Mary's a teenager, and Elizabeth is advanced in years, right? Our favorite phrase. They're at opposite ends of the spectrum, but the same principle applies, that God is bringing this about. Verse 37, because nothing is impossible with God. The implication here is this seems impossible, right? This seems impossible. So the angel has to say, nothing is impossible with God. Listen, one sign God is calling you to do something is it might seem impossible. Right? It may seem too difficult. There may be some rejection at first. There may be some obstacles at first. 
And typically what we do when we're faced with those things and we say, well, God must not be in this. I need to go the other way. And the reality is, as you look at the whole of the Bible, God is always calling people to do things that seem impossible, isn't he? I mean, just think about love your enemies, Sermon on the Mount. Make disciples of a city, of a town. No, all nations, right? All of them. Read the book of Acts. Everything seems impossible. We have some some men, some disciples who didn't get a lot of things right, let's be honest, in the Gospels. But then who were indwelled by the Spirit of God. And and Jesus, such a great leader, if you really think about it, Jesus gives us this great mission. Make disciples of all nations. Teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. And then what does Jesus do? He ascends. He leaves. It's like, you guys got this. I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit, and you guys are going to do this. And this ragtag bunch of guys goes out, and they start sharing the gospel, and they start starting churches. It seems impossible for these guys, the same guys who doubted Jesus over and over in the gospels, for these guys to be the people God uses to start the movement of the church. Isn't that amazing? And they go on. They get beaten. They get arrested. Some of them die. And the church still goes forward. And the gospel still goes out. Why? Because nothing is impossible with God. Even though it seems impossible, nothing is impossible with God. Just a side note, this is why I love Phoenix Bible Church. We just had our Christmas celebration on Friday as a church where we recap another year. If you're new, we're three years old as a church. And so we got to recap another year. And anytime I have to do that, I begin to reflect on our whole history as a church and think about, God, what have you done? Not just this year, but the years leading up. And, and I just started to think about the different times that this church seemed impossible. I thought about at the beginning of our church. Someone told me they didn't think our core group could financially support a church. They said, I don't know, demographics kind of young, like I don't know if you guys have enough people to really financially support a church. But God provided, because nothing's impossible with God. We got the church off the ground, and, and there were some voices, not really in here, but out there, who, who would come to me and say, Tim, have you ever thought about moving the church a little bit further out? Like downtown, I mean, it's up and coming, and it's cool and hip, but there's not a lot of families that live downtown. And it could be a little bit easier if you guys could could move just a little bit out, a few rungs out, and take the church there. And and maybe maybe it would work a, a little bit better. And there were those voices, but God provided. Because there's some families who who live here. There's some families who commute here. And listen, you're not going anywhere. Amen? God provided. Because nothing's impossible with God. Even right now, we have a unique location opportunity that we've talked about some, that we prayed for some, that we talked about and gave an update on Friday night in the Christmas celebration, this potential opportunity for a location to lease downtown that would be built out as a church. Listen, that could seem impossible because we might have to contribute some to the build out. It might increase our rent just a little bit and and it might seem impossible. Like, how are we gonna do that? Are we really ready for that? But listen, here's what I love about this line, these events that have taken place at Phoenix Bible Church is that when we come across these things, whatever it is, things in your life in our church, 
sins that you can't get over. When we come across these things, when we see the mission before us to make disciples, to love our neighbor, to start with our spouse, to start with our kids, our friends who know us well, this incredible mission that Jesus puts us on, whatever it is for you, whatever it is for our church, when we see things that seem impossible and we trust God anyway and proceed anyway, we're falling in line with the rest of the people in the Bible. Do you see that? We're just getting in line with the guys in Acts and saying we're going to continue this thing. We're going to look at what seems impossible and we're going to live by faith. You need to know that's why Romans 1 says the righteous will live by faith. They'll live by faith. That there should, should be some things in your life that seem impossible and you have to trust in God. God, can you come through? Can you do this in me and through me and around me? There should be some things like that. And listen, I want to be a part of a church like that. I don't want to just lead a church like that. I want to bring my family to a church like that. That's what I love about our church is that we get to live this out, this great story that started in Scripture, we get to live out today. And we get to live not by calculated effort, right? Romans 1 doesn't say that. It says live by faith. And we get to see things that seem impossible, and we get to see God make them possible through his grace, unmerited favor in our faith. I want to be a part of that, not just for three years, but 10 years, 30 years. I want to be known for that. I want our church to have a legacy of that, of that story. I want you to partner in that as well. This isn't just true about our church. This is true about all of life. So how do we live by faith? faith? Briefly, I want to look at two observations about Mary's faith. Uh, first, let me just say this. Mary is not the object of our faith, but she is a good example of faith. Some of our Catholic friends sometimes get confused and they start to worship Mary. But that doesn't really make sense because Mary didn't worship Mary. Mary worshiped God. A little bit later, we're going to see it in a couple weeks, Luke 1, Mary sings this amazing song and she says, my soul magnifies the Lord. And so we should worship God, but we can look at the example of Mary. And so the first thing we see is that her faith is not void of questions, but it's not limited by them either. Mary asked at the beginning of this, how's this all going to work? How's it going to come together? She had some questions. You need to know, in your faith, there's room for some questions. See, the distinction is here is that Mary landed in a place of faith. Like she asked questions that would build her faith because she wanted to have faith. But when you're asking questions because you're, you're skeptical of everything and you don't want to have faith, that's a whole different thing. But if you have questions this morning, if you're new, if you don't understand everything, you have questions, there's room for you here. There's a place for you here. We love it that you're here. This is a place to ask questions, and we want to take you to God's word and help you land in a place of faith. And so Mary's faith is not void of questions, but it's not limited by them either. Second thing we see is her faith is marked by simple Submission. Look at that last line, verse 38. Mary says this, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. This is radical, dependent, yet simple faith. I read verse 38 this week. I'm a servant of God. Let it be. And that phrase just struck me to my core. I read it and I thought, do I have that disposition? Do I have that posture about me that... God, I'm your servant, let it be. 
Whatever that means, whatever anyone else says or doesn't say, whoever comes with me or doesn't, I'm your servant, let it be. Do I have that posture, that mentality? And as I read that, as that phrase struck me to the core, I realized I've lost some of that. Some of that has been robbed from me. I've robbed some of that from myself as I looked at my life. And so I had to go and sit down and confess, God, I don't always think this way. I'm your servant. Let it be. I don't always live this way. I let my own sin, my own doubt, distractions, busyness, approval, the complexities of life and church, I let some of those things rob me of this simple, this desperate, reliant faith that says, I'm your servant, let it be. No matter what happens, whatever that looks like, let it be. And I had to confess, God, I've robbed myself of some of that. I've been robbed of some of that. And I had to ask, God, would you reorient my life around this phrase? God, I confess, I'm not there yet, but would you reorient my life, my time, talent, and treasure, my thought around this phrase? I'm your servant. Let it be, whatever that means. I ask God for that. Some of you need to ask God for that. That's a dangerous prayer to ask, amen? I'm your servant. Let it be. Because some of us are thinking, well, I'm trying to climb the corporate ladder, Tim. I mean, if I say something like that, I'm your servant, let it be, what's God going to do with that ladder? He might take it down. He might get me to take another job. He might just want me to stay where I am because right now I'm working 40 to 50 hours a week and I can love my family at that pace, but if I keep climbing that ladder, I can't. I can't be involved in church. I can't have community. And you need to know, if you say, I'm your servant, let it be, That might happen. God is going to change some things, right? You need to know, as you think about other aspects of your life, like your your finances, you think, God, if I say, I'm your servant, let it be, things are kind of tight, budget doesn't look so good right now. What's he going to do with my money? Yeah, God might change what you do with your money. I don't think Mary, just so you know, she didn't. Mary, did you know? Popular Christian song, amen. Hitting our radio streams right now. Mary, did you know? I don't want to burst your bubble, but she didn't know, right? She knew a little bit, but she didn't know. She wasn't omniscient. She wasn't all-knowing. She didn't know what saying this as a teenager from a tiny town would mean. I'm your servant. Let it be. God changed her life. God changed the world through her son. And so listen, yeah, are there a lot of reasons to to be cautious and be like, I I don't want to pray that prayer. I'm your servant, let it be. I mean, what about this? What about that? What about my dating relationship? I mean, he's not praying the prayer, reorient my life around uh, God and his mission and and be a, a servant to that. I mean, he's not praying that. And if I pray that, maybe I won't need to date him anymore. I know it's a little scary to think about that. As you have friends who come alongside you and they're like, are you sure you should live for Jesus? I mean, isn't it all a hoax? I mean, isn't it really a fair tale once upon a time? And if you say, I'm your servant, God, let it be. Maybe those friends who discourage you and ridicule you and accuse you, maybe you need to find some new friends. 
I know it's a little scary, but you need to know that submission can be so much more powerful than ambition. Submission to the right thing. Submission to an all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving God. Getting under him, that's way more powerful than any ambition you could ever dream of. And so God, he doesn't want to take from you. He wants to release from you some of these sins you're carrying, some of this baggage that you're carrying. And he wants you to say, God, I'm your servant. Let it be. I don't want this in my life anymore. Help me reorient my life around this statement. I'm your servant. Let it be, whatever that looks like. That God wants to release you in your time with him. That so many of us, we go to God's word and we look at it and we read some things and we think, oh, that's really good. I'm going to put that on my Facebook. <laughs> and that's it. And listen, God wants to release you to more than that. As you submit to him, greater than any ambition, as you submit to a great God, God wants to release you out to go live his word, to go do what his word says. God wants that for you. As you say, I am your servant, let it be. God wants to change your finances. He wants you to, to give generously. Even when things are tight, he wants to release you from fear when it comes to money. He wants to release you from ownership and the stresses of that. And he wants to grant you stewardship. And so maybe for some of you, as you say, I'm your servant, God, let it be that God is calling you this Christmas as we approach the end of the year to invest your finances in eternal things instead of temporary things. To maybe tone down just a little bit those things you're going to buy and sell one year later on offer up. Right? Some of you, God's going to call you to do that. As you say, God, I'm your servant, let it be, but God's going to release you and free you to do that. Because submission to an all-knowing and all-powerful and all-loving God is so much greater than your ambition. You're finite. He's infinite. Right? Mary was a teenage girl. I'm sure she had some desires, a nice, quiet life with her carpenter husband, Joseph. I build some tables that we eat on. I don't know what her ambitions were, but God had more through her submission, through her simple faith. Some of you this morning, God's going to call you to say, I'm your servant, let it be. And he's going to call you out of the insanity of isolation. And he's going to call you into community. And he's going to call you into like a group that we just talked about up here or another group where, where other people, people who don't discourage you and don't cause you, you to doubt. When you're excited about the amazing favor of God and you want to have simple faith and you want to say, I'm your servant, let it be, that you want to be around some people in a community group that come alongside and say, yeah, how can we support you in that? How can we help equip you in that? That's amazing. You know, I don't know how that's going to happen either, but I'm with you. That God's going to call you from a place of insanity in your isolation where you're trying to do this thing by yourself and grind along. And maybe you have some, some friends who come alongside and cause you to doubt. God's going to take you from that place and he's going to move you to authentic community. The place where the love of God, the God who loves you just because he loves you, is expressed horizontally through people. Some of you, today, you're going to see God's amazing favor and you're going to respond in simple faith. 
and get involved in community. And God's going to change your life relationally. God changes Mary's life. And then he changes the world through her son. Maybe you look at Mary and you think, well, Tim, I've seen too many paintings. I mean, Mary, she had a special thing going on, right? I mean, she's different than, than I am. Because when you see her, sometimes we see pictures and images of Mary, and she looks magnificent. And you think, well, I, I don't know if I'm on that same level. Remember, it's not amazing you, it's amazing favor. And so you don't need to look at your past or what you have to bring to the table and think, God, can I get some of this favor? You already have it. Because Mary, who had simple faith, gave birth to a son, fully man, fully God, Jesus Christ, who went on to live a perfect life, died death in your place for your sin, all your past, all your shortcomings, the things you don't know and the too much you do know about yourself and your weaknesses. God died for all of that through Jesus, and he rose again to conquer sin, Satan, and the grave so that you could receive his favor. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, That's available to you fully, freely this morning. And that when you receive that favor, then you can step out in simple faith. In this radical, dependent, simple faith that says, I'm your servant. Let it be. Whatever that looks like in my life, in my marriage, with my kids, in our church, let it be. Man, imagine if you prayed that prayer today to reorient your whole life around that. How how would that change your life? You know, God's with us this morning. God's with us. There's not an angel here, but he's with us. If not, what are we doing? Let's go eat lunch. What, What are we doing? God's with us. God's for us. His favor is available. Respond in faith this morning. Don't miss this opportunity. Let's pray and do that now. Father in heaven, I I do pray for these men and women that you would bring them to a place supernaturally, even in this moment, where they can see your favor. Maybe some of them need to see it for the first time. Some of them, if they're honest, they've been doing the church thing and going through the motions and, and practicing a religion, but they don't have a relationship with you. They haven't received your amazing grace. And so, God, I pray in this moment they would, for the first time, say, God, I am your servant. Let it be. Save me. Forgive me of my sin." And God, I also know there's a lot of people in here who have prayed that, who have committed their life to you at one point. But if they're honest, just like I was, that at some point, that simple faith has been robbed of them. They've robbed it of themselves with their doubt and distractions and sin, with the approval of others. And God, I pray in this moment, you would reignite that prayer to say, we want to reorient all of our lives around this statement of, I am your servant Let it be because we've received your favor and we want to live this out in faith and so that we might collectively as a church see the impossible become possible. God, God, help us. We desperately need your help to respond that way in this moment. I thank you that you love us. I thank you that we can step out right now, not tomorrow, but right now because you've already given us your help. You already love us right where we are. Father, we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.